We're continuing in our series on uh, this solid blueprint from the book of James, and uh, we're glad to have our, our older uh, children out in the service today with us here on the, on the fifth Sunday. And I think of a story about a, a little girl who had gotten in trouble, and she was being uh, kind of disruptive, and her dad had her sit on a chair, and she was not happy about it. And she looked over at her dad, and, and, and she said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And so that's part of this nature that we all have, uh, this sin nature, this defiance, this rebellion, this tendency to be, to be quarrelsome. And so today's message is, is on conflict, and we all need this teaching. Conflict comes into our lives with our spouses, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our relatives. So as, as we begin this message, I, I want you just to bow your head for just a moment, and would you pray this simple prayer? Lord, speak to me. Amen. I, I want to acknowledge that uh, a teaching by Rick Warren in the 1990s was a helpful resource in the, the preparation of this message. And what I want you to see today is kind of the, the, the key take home is that humility is the key to overcoming conflict. So let's look at the, the, the cause of conflict here in James chapter 4, the first five verses describe it. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God, being enemies of, of God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So that first sentence, James asks this question, what causes fighting and quarreling among you? That's a great question. Here's a rhetorical question I'm going to ask, and kids, that means you don't need to answer. Just listen. Do you fight and quarrel? Husbands and wives, do you ever wonder why there are times when you just can't seem to get along? You love each other to death, and sometimes the emphasis is on love, and sometimes the emphasis is on death. And parents and children, do you ever wonder why at times you have major blow-ups over such minor issues? Why the tension at school? Why the tension at home? Why the tension at work? Why the tension with friends? Why the tension with in-laws? Like the golfer who was ready to tee off for the 18th hole, he explained to his buddy, I I'm anxious to make this shot. That's my mother-in-law on the clubhouse porch. His buddy responded, well, that's 250 yards. You'll never hit her from here. 
Some of you are way ahead of me on that. <laughs> In verse 1, James says, you argue because of conflicting desires. You want different things. And then he points out for us three basic desires that we all have. These are God-given desires, good desires that are not a problem until we allow them to get out of control. And then James not only gives us three desires that cause arguments, he tells us four things that we can do about it. And today in our, in our message, we're going to look at those first three desires. We're going to have a time of just uh, meditation and, and communion, and then we're going to come back for the, the four answers uh, of, of what we need there uh, to, to resolve the conflicts and quarrels. So first is the desire to have. God created things for us to use. And it, it used to be that people were loved and things were used. And for many, that's been reversed. And, and things are loved and people are used. And the reality is we get into trouble when we reverse that by loving things and, and using people to get things. Kind of like the old wealthy man who was very enthusiastic about his trophy wife. But sometimes he wondered if she might just have married him for his money. So one day he decided to ask her directly. He said, if I lost all my money, would you still love me? She said, of course I would love you. I'd miss you, but yes, I would, would still love you. The problem begins when we fall in love with, with things. And conflict over money is the number one cause of divorce. I want it. We can't afford it, but I want it. But we don't have the money. We don't need the money. I have a credit card. In a Peanuts cartoon, Linus came home from grade school, and he said to Lucy, guess what I learned today? I learned how to write my name. Now I can write checks. And some people have the mistaken belief that the Constitution guarantees them the, the right to life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. James warns that you kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. Coveting is wanting what someone else has, and it's forbidden in the Ten Commandments. It's what caused Israel to get in all kinds of trouble in the Old Testament. God was leading their country. They didn't need to have a king. They had God as their ruler. But all the neighboring countries had a king. And they decided, we want a king too, like everybody else. And so they wanted what their neighbors had. They coveted that. It's been observed that we, we buy things we don't need and spend money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Sometimes we attack each other over what we want. It, it even happens in churches. The issues change, but insistence on having our preferences can cause fighting within churches over what we want instead of fighting together against Satan over what God wants. It's not wrong to have preferences, but when what we want to have interferes with God's work for the church, it's wrong. It's sin. The second desire that James 
talks about in verse 3 is this desire to feel. James refers to it as pleasures. Is it wrong to want pleasure in life? Not at all. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says that we ought to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We know that that desire for pleasure is healthy and God-given, but out of control, it can fuel arguments. After a long day at work, one spouse comes home and wants to just zone out with some TV or screen time, and the other wants to talk. One is expecting a a good old home-cooked meal, and the other wants to grab some takeout. And the kids want to talk and play with their parents, but the parents are ready for some peace and quiet. And so different members of the household are all desiring what will make them feel good. And so it creates this collision course unless someone compromises. The problem is when I'm more interested in my comfort than I am in yours. Your child wants to go to McDonald's and you want to go anywhere that doesn't give away toys with the meal. Someone in the family's too hot. Someone's too cold. And we're going to have those, those differences. And this is also a, a, a battle line that can be drawn in, in the bedroom over physical intimacy as couples argue about that. It, it all has to do with the desire for pleasure and when either spouse asserts, I'm more interested in my pleasure than in yours, it, it causes arguments. So l- listen to this solution for all these areas. The best way to keep from stepping on the other person's toes is to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Then James talks about the third desire, the desire to be. This desire speaks to our pride, our our yearning for prominence, for attention. Frank Sinatra summed it up best in his signature song, I Did It My Way. I read about Victor Royzo, a struggling artist in Spain. His work wasn't getting noticed. So what did he do to remedy that? He superglued one of his paintings next to a Rembrandt in the Prada Museum. He did so because he said he wanted to be somebody. And the the painting hung there for four days before anyone noticed. He said, "I, I just want to be recognized. The desire to be. Proverbs 13.10 says, where there is strife, there is pride. Nobody wants to cry, uncle. Have you ever been in an argument where you knew you were wrong, but you didn't want to give in? Do you know why you didn't? It's because of pride. Even little things. Does that ever cause arguments in your home? Anger gets you in trouble and pride keeps you there. James says that pride interferes with your prayers. Verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do so with the wrong motives. And even the lack of prayer is an act of pride. 
because we are failing to recognize our dependence on God. So pride doesn't just cause problems with other people. It causes problems between us and God. And this passage says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In the context of this teaching, we're we're going to move into a time of communion, a a, a celebration of the Lord's Supper, a a time of self-examination. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. It says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. We're instructed to examine ourselves. And so right now we're, we're going to provide a, a few moments for, for self-examination. As the, the men get ready to serve the, the communion emblems to you, I, I want you to ask yourself these questions and pray about this as you meditate. Am I in conflict with another brother or sister? Do I need to reconcile with someone before I take part in communion? Have my desires to have, to feel, and to be caused conflict in relationships with others? Have I been living in rebellion against God's authority and insisting on doing things in life my way? Let's pray about those things, meditate on those things right now as we partake. So the second half of this message is is divided up to talk about the the cure for for conflict. And kids, again, we're glad to have you in the service today. You might want to take some notes down on that little inserted sheet inside the bulletin and and, uh, and do some of that here on the second second half, fill in some of those blanks. So what's the, the answer? What's the cure for conflict? Well, James says that the cure for arguments is humility. He recommends four steps that we can each take that will greatly reduce the conflict and, and the quarrels in our lives. The first thing that he, he teaches us is to submit to God. Verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. And, and that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. The idea of of yielding to God's control, give it to God, let God be God in your life. Put him in control. Remember, James is not writing to non-Christians, but he's writing to people who are in the church claiming to be followers of, of God but who are having trouble being submitters to God. And that may describe some of us. Yes, I'm a Christian, but it's kind of hard to let God have the reins and, and uh, the steering wheel, the, the rudder uh, on the ship. 
He's saying, quit trying to run your own life yourself. Go back to verse 1. James mentions this battle within, this conflict inside. There is a civil war going on in your life, and the control is over who gets to be in control in your life. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Before you'll ever know peace on the outside, you need to have peace on the inside. It's not a one and done decision, but it's this ongoing daily decision. You begin by saying, thy will be done instead of my will be done. Let God be God. And then the peace process will begin. The next directive that James gives us is to resist the devil. In the second part of verse 7, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Be aware. Realize the source of your arguments. Realize his schemes, that he wants to disrupt harmony in your life in your relationships. That word resist is a military term. It means to be on guard, to be prepared, to to be ready, to stand against an attack. And Satan wants to destroy your marriage, your family, and every other good relationship you have. He seeks to do so by causing arguments. So understand how he operates. Realize he's the source of the conflict and fighting in your life. This is spiritual warfare. So know that he operates on pride, especially wounded pride. Has Satan ever whispered to you, you don't have to stand for this. Who do they think they are? Resist the devil. It's been observed that when you get up in the morning, if you don't run into the devil, it just means you're already headed in the same direction. Think about that. How do we resist Satan? Well, how did Jesus resist Satan? He did it by memorizing scripture. Remember when Jesus was out in the the wilderness, was being tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights, And each time Satan came up to him and and tried to to tempt Jesus, how did Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. It is written. And that knowledge of Scripture was what he used to refute the devil and to resist him. Psalm 119, verse 11, encourages, I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. The more we fill and saturate our minds with God's word, the easier it's going to be to say, take a hike, Satan. I'm I'm not listening to that. I I understand where that voice is coming from. Um, In my Bible study, we were studying the, the life of Simon Peter last week, and there was the place where Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tortured there. I'm, I'm going to die. And, and, and 
Peter spoke up and said, no way, Lord. Hey, don't talk like that. That's really negative. Please, you know, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He knew the source of that statement was from Satan. And he was using Simon Peter as a, a voice box to try to deter Jesus from going to the cross and redeeming the human race. So when we're having trouble resisting Satan's temptations, it means that too many of his words and not enough of God's words are in us. It's time to clean up. It's time to reload. It's time to resist the devil and he will run. And next, James says, we need to get closer to God. That's the third step that we need to take. It says in, in, in verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. So how do we get closer to God? You spend more time with him. He becomes a bigger priority in your life. And that can happen through prayer. That can happen through reading your Bible. That can happen by participating more consistently in worship, by getting involved in a life group. In sports, there's an adage that says, the best defense is a good offense. And I hope the Bengals remember that truth today when they, they clash with the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Who day? Uh, can I get an amen and can I get a who day? Yeah, so, uh, Larry Hagan is watching online today and, and Larry sent his hat over. And uh, so Larry, we miss you. Hope you're doing well. So I want you to try this out to test this truth. The more time you spend alone with God, the better you will get along with people. Let me say that again. The more time you spend alone with God, the better you will get along with people. As you fill your, your mind and your spirit with him and his thoughts, his things, it will impact dramatically the way you relate to other people. That, that's a tweetable truth. When the argument level rises in your home, someone is not spending enough time with God. The, the conflict level in your life is directly proportional to the amount of time that you spend alone with God. And James is saying, you may need to say, I'm sorry to someone. Wash your hands. Clean up. You may need to grieve, mourn, and wail. If you need to cry, cry. If you hurt your children's feelings, don't say, it's not a big deal. It may not be to you, but it can be to them. If you hurt your parents' feelings, don't say, ah, they'll get over it. Swallow your pride and apologize. Even if it's only 5% your fault and 95% the other person, apologize for your 5%. Well, Jeff, that's, that's humbling. Yes. Just remember this. You will never forgive anyone more than God has already 
forgiven you. Then James has one final challenge to us on the the cure. And that's to humble yourself. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Maybe you need to write a letter this week or or to make some restitution or or to start over. In the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin says to Hobbes, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did that. And Hobbes responded, maybe you should apologize to her. Calvin ponders a moment, then he replied, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. When we want to restore a damaged relationship with God or with others, we need to do what is the obvious solution. Humbling ourselves and apologizing. And there will be less arguing in your marriage, less strife in your home, less tension in your family, at your work, at your school, in God's church. There was an article in the Atlantic Monthly uh, about the three tenors performing together in Los Angeles. Jose Carreras, Placido Domingo, and Luciano Pavarotti. And the reporter raised the issue of competitiveness arising between the three and, and how their egos might cause problem for these three superstars to to be brought together. And Domingo replied, you have to put all your concentration into opening your heart to the music. You can't be rivals when you're together making music. And he's right. Humility is the key to overcoming conflict. Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield stepped into the ring for a rematch that would decide who would be declared the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. And you may remember it, the first couple of rounds went Holyfield's way, and Tyson began to get frustrated. He got so frustrated that at the beginning of the third round, he didn't put in his mouthpiece. And then during a tussle, he bit a chunk out of the ear of Evander Holyfield. Believe it or not, after a brief stoppage, the fight continued, but amazingly enough, Tyson bit Holyfield again, at which point Tyson was disqualified and and Holyfield was declared the winner. I don't want to comment on Mike Tyson. His actions speak for themselves, but I want to comment on Holyfield, a Christian. When interviewed often, he would wear a shirt with a Christian message to to try to get that out to people. Frequently, he spoke about his relationship with Christ. But but what he he did after he had a, a chunk of his ear bitten off speaks volumes. He said, I I still love Mike. He just needs a new savior. Well said, Evander. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we pray today that we understand the source of the conflict and fighting in our lives. It's from our enemy, 
our adversary, the devil, who, who wants to disrupt peace and harmony and create chaos just to distance us from, from you. And so, Lord, I just pray a, a prayer of blessing on every individual here, on each person worshiping with us online, every family represented. Lord, that we would recognize the, the source of, uh, of this conflict and that we would follow your word. You've given us clear and simple instructions about living with, with greater humility, uh, about extending grace, uh, about treating other people the way that we would want to be treated. And in doing so, Lord, I, I pray there will be a sharp reduction in the discord of our lives for our church. And so I, I pray that we can apply this message and immediately we'll have a chance today. It may be on the, on the ride home. It may be when we get home. But Lord, help us to, to live with humility to reduce the conflict in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Really, the first area that we need to bring into submission is, is our relationship with the Lord. So we're going to offer a song of invitation, a chance for you to respond. And if you have questions and want to know more about following the Lord, if you need one of our elders to pray with you after the service, whatever might be going on in your life, we want to give you a chance to, uh, to, to move into that and re respond. And if we give the Lord control of our lives, that's the first big step to, to eliminating the conflict in our lives. Would you stand right now as, as we sing?